You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. COVID Converted Edition number two, interview with Phil Hill. That teaser was from a piece called Loving Hank by the Debbie Porius Trio. Debbie is a jazz pianist, composer, teacher, and vocalist. If you're a jazz lover, I think you'll really enjoy it. Don't forget to stay tuned to the end of my podcast to hear the full piece. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I'm very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash pulsepodcast to learn more. In the interest of full disclosure, my institution, the University of the Sciences, uses D2L Brightspace. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is RodsPods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. So this is the second in my COVID Converted Edition audio and video podcast series. And of course, it's in response to the impact of COVID-19 on the way we learn and work. We've all been thrown into teaching COVID Converted courses online, and the series will focus on moving from this emergency remote teaching to some thoughtfully prepared online learning experiences. In this episode, I interview Phil Hill. You may know him as the publisher of Phil on EdTech and he's also a partner at MindWires Consulting. We discuss podcasting, especially his new Phil on EdTech podcast, and the COVID-fueled hybridization of higher ed. We cover his background, why he decided to start podcasting now, what he covers on his blog and podcast, his thoughts about the fall term, emergency remote teaching and learning using Zoom, the importance of instructional design, and certainly the tolerance of students to learning online. So without further ado, here's my interview with Phil Hill. So Phil, so great to see you. I'm really happy that you uh, agreed to uh, speak with me and my audience today. Um, if anybody listens to my podcast on any sort of regular, irregular basis, they probably know who you are. But just in case, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to be where you are? <laughs> well, it depends on how much time you have. Um, I guess the short answer is the fact that I've been working as an independent consultant, so small company consulting within higher education for about 18 years now. And the general space is between um, where technology enabled change and teaching and learning. So never have been the expert on we can install a system or be the technical details, but it's what is needed to make some teaching and learning improvement more effective. Understanding the vendor market, doing change management, understanding support structures within a school, whatever the case may be, we're sort of trying to act as the glue to help organizations improve some sort of teaching and learning initiative. Most people, and I assume uh, if your listeners know me, they probably know me better from blogging. I was previously blogging at eLiterate with Michael Feldstein. He uh, he and I separated just over a year ago um, based on the work that he was doing with the Empirical Educator Project. Um, so we were remain great friends and great supporters, but we needed to make a change after se- almost seven years together. Wow. 
And that led me to doing the Phil on EdTech blog, where I essentially, uh, along with guest authors, try to write about what's happening in educational technology with a focus on teaching and learning. Yeah. So here's what's happening in the learning platform market. Here's what's happening with online education and OPMs. Um, the, we've had plenty of material to write about over the past two months with little changes that are happening. That's for sure. So long and short, uh, blogging and small company consulting and market analysis in this space centered around teaching and learning is essentially what I work on. Yeah. You know, when I heard that you were going to start a podcast, I was intrigued. Uh, you know, having my podcast, I think I started it in 2006. But uh, so I was anxious to, to hear about it. So uh, I have listened to some. Um, but tell me why you decided to start a podcast at this, uh, at this time. Uh, the wealthy lifestyle of long-term podcasters such as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I get that wrong? Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Um, I guess there are a couple I've talked about or thought about doing podcasts for a while and just never got the initiative to do it. Uh, and the COVID-19 crisis provided the, ex the excuse to say, all right, you need to make something work. So that's why it happened now is stuck at home. So much of my consulting uh, was based on going to a university or going to an organization, meeting with people, talking to them, a lot of face-to-face -face interaction as well as reports and video meetings. Well, it's obvious that's not going to be happening much in the near term. So in particular, the market analysis of what we do, where we help clients understand what's happening in the market, we need to adapt to today's reality, and we've got to find a way to be more effective with remote medium, if you will. So part of it was just, I need to explore this space. But there's also uh, was a big trigger, particularly from the blog on the um, uh, sort of a UDL concept, a unified design for learning concept of if we talk about course designs and how UDL provides a nice framework to deal with accessibility. That if you're doing a course and you have some students who are sight impaired or hearing impaired, give them different pathways that they can work with. It takes extra work, but you know people need to do it to reach a broader set of students. Well, some of what we're doing is simply practicing what we preach. We have a blog we certainly make it accessible for screen readers, but I just felt that wasn't enough. And so one of the things we wanted to do is for people who want to listen to a blog, whether it's for accessibility reasons or whether it's because they like to do it while walking their dog, we should reach them and have a way to reach them. So the poet readings is essentially us reading the Phil on EdTech blog to people and I don't have a big business reason for it. It really is just find make it easier for people to get the material they need. Yeah, that that that's an interesting idea. I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me. Um, in terms of accessibility, I think it's it's great. Uh, one reason I'm trying to do more video podcasts, podcasts, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Uh, is that uh, on YouTube, I can turn on uh, closed caption, automatically captions yep. everything. 
So that's why I'm going to try to do more. It takes a little bit more effort on my end. You know, whenever you're editing a video, it's a probably an order of magnitude more than uh, than the audio uh, podcasting, uh, especially the editing. Before we get into to some of the um, you know d- more depth about the the topics you're covering, which I find fascinating, of course, especially in this in this time frame. Um, tell me a little bit about your technology because you know. Um, uh, when I started my podcast, it was a podcast about podcasting, believe it or not. So oh, really? I was trying to introduce my faculty to um, how to do their own podcast. Now, not many took me up on it. Um, and as it turned out, a lot of the um, uh, lecture capture systems have an automatic uh, podcast link. Although, I, again, I don't know how many students actually used it. But, uh, you know, in terms of... Uh, accessing the information different ways i think that's uh that's that's an important option so i'm I'm glad you're headed down this road so can you tell me anything about um you know what what you found to be easy difficult um <laughs> your your technology and so on uh, i guess the first lesson for myself is oh my gosh the difficulty of podcasting is an order of magnitude more than blogging from a technology perspective so with blogging, uh, we use WordPress and we use WordPress engine um, as opposed to, you know, like a WordPress.com hosting. Um, and we've been doing that for years. So I have, you know, some knowledge of how to set up systems and self-manage, if you will. With podcasting, I started out with that same assumption that I want to host my own podcast, partially just for a control issue, but also as a way to learn it. I mean, some of what I'm doing now is me learning podcasting. So I should have been around at the beginning of your podcast. I would have been one of your uh, two T's. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that was sort of a starting assumption. The other starting thing is when Michael and I did eLiterate TV, we had done some video work, video interviews, remote work. I remember. And yeah. we started out with a, a full professional three-camera setup. And... It was fun uh, working with real audio engineers and real lighting and camera, but the Gates Foundation wanted us to do more guerrilla video production. So we did more um, using the iPhone and some gyro stabilized cameras to do remote video work. The video was easy, but for the audio, just I had to buy a series of microphones trying to figure out how to get it right. Audio engineering is difficult. So jumping ahead to podcasts, once I got started, um, what I've ended up with is a blue um, Yeti X condenser mic that I've been using. Uh, And that's because I had a blue snowball that I'd been using previously. And it worked good enough. And I just wanted to take one step up. So I took the easy way out. Same company. Let's get updated technology and a, a step up in quality. And then I've, as you see, I'm using the AirPod so I can listen to any work, you know, through my headphone and it doesn't interfere with the audio. So that's my audio setup. The tool that I've been using since COVID transitions, which is the second podcast where we are discussing the transitions higher education is going through with COVID. We use a tool called CleanFeed. So it's essentially a free website. You can uh, do premium if you want. And with that, you essentially are using that as your audio tool. And it syncs up the three of us. 
and we simply record right off of that. And it's been optimized mm-hmm. for voice. So the filtering um, and the equalization is set up for voice. So we use clean feed since we don't do video um, that you're doing. And for the audio only, I've found that to be uh, a much easier and a much cleaner way to record a multi-person conversation than when we were using some of the other approaches. Well, so that's clean great. You know, the I, audio recording. Yeah, I learned something today. So that's yeah. great. I should look into it because uh, the tools since I've been doing this have changed a lot. I used to do, um, you know, the, the, we used to call him the pod father was Adam Curry. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he had, he, he delivered his podcast like he was on a radio show because, you know, he used to do, uh, um, uh, what were they called? Uh, MTV. So yes. he, he used to perform like it was a, you know, a live radio talk show. So I used a tool that he, he put together there for a while called Cast Blaster and that disappeared. And then uh, basically I, I record using uh, Audacity with just an audio podcast. And of course now I'm using uh, Zoom. I've used, um, actually I've used Skype uh, for most of my podcasts and I edit in Audacity. But um, thing I like about Zoom is that when you record the video uh, locally, uh, you can separate the tracks, uh, the audio tracks. Yes. So that way it makes it a lot easier to, to tweak, you know, the uh, compression and, and so forth on the, uh, on the various uh, audience uh, audio feeds. Anyway, that's great. So sure. I learned something. I'll have to look into it. Well, and the, one, of the, one of the benefits of it, it actually stores the audio in your local browser. So it, that way, if you have connectivity problems with somebody who's on the right. line, at least everything I'm hearing and is getting recorded is on my browser. And so then I just download it into a file. So it's a nice tool. Now, once I take that, and again, I do audio only, uh, I've been doing the editing with GarageBand. And okay. Mm-hmm. And not heavy editing. It's uh, most of the edit, getting rid of the ums, sort of, mm-hmm. I think, you knows. Um, people talking over too much. So some we do light editing with GarageBand. And then uh, as far as the tool, I have a WordPress site. So I just added the blue uh, the Blueberry PowerPress plugin. And okay. use, now we still host it with WP Engine, but we're using that plugin to distribute it through Apple Podcasts and all the other medium. So that's our yeah. technical setup. Yeah, that's great. And, and um, you know, some of my audience might be intrigued to try their own podcast. So I also like to uh, talk a little bit. I, normally, I don't uh, dwell too much on the technology behind podcasting, but I think uh, this is a good example of somebody who did a blog and wants to turn it to an audio platform. So that's great. Um, well, and just uh, before we go on, it goes back to the motivation of this have multiple channels. I wanted to understand how difficult would it be to take uh, in the blog in the poet readings, I've written a blog. How tough would it be to actually record a decent quality audio and distribute it as a podcast? So, so much of what I'm doing is even teaching myself, so that sure. I can have a better understanding of what's happening. I know that's a great part about what I do because uh, you know I'm I'm learning each time. If yes. I'm interested in a in a particular technology or topic, uh, it's great. I can. Uh, kill two birds with one stone, you know, and create a podcast around it. So that, that's great. Well, why don't we get back to some of the, um, the topics you've been talking about and um, maybe give my audience um, a little uh, insight into um, 
what you're covering these days, especially in your podcast. Yeah, and again, I'll start out with the blog because that's how a lot of things come back to the blog with us. When COVID-19 came upon us, uh, I initially resisted writing too much because one of the challenges, I think there's so much information out there that I didn't want to just add to the noise just because I could. I wanted to make sure if I was going to write about something, I had something unique to add. I wasn't create or increasing the confusion out there. But I discovered a place that was uh, that seemed to be adding value, and I've got good feedback. Writing about, so for example, writing about, well, this is what's going to happen in the fall that'll be very different than the spring. So we need to start thinking about it now. That might be sort of the summary of what we've been blogging about. With COVID transitions, the basic idea is the same type of topics, but to do it in a discussion format. Because when you write a blog, I, I probably edit my blogs a dozen times before I publish it. And it, it, you know, it gets the words more precise. It allows you to think through and structure your thinking. But it's a different type of exploration of material if you do it as a blog. Sure. So we have three of us, Kevin Kelly, Jeanette Wiseman, and I, who are basically having a conversation on some of these topics. So, for example, we recently have covered the hybrid flexible model that a lot of people are talking about as a way for schools to have flexibility looking at the fall and how you actually can do some level of face-to-face and some level of online and have the flexibility to shift back and forth. So that's an example of one of the topics that we covered. The one we're about to publish tomorrow, the general nature of the topic was, to a degree, the springtime might have fooled us from a decision-making perspective. Because when all colleges and universities essentially went online within four weeks, nobody second-guessed you. And it was a binary decision. It was, we got to go online. We got to shut down the campus. And once you did it, other than the University of Washington, Stanford, and Seattle University, they were the leaders. But in higher education, once they put that stake in the ground, everybody followed them. Nobody second guessed you. The fall is completely different. Schools are going to be going into, they need to make a decision about will they have anything face to face. Yet we don't know. We, it, we're in a world of uncertainty. What's going to be happening with the virus? Will we have any treatment? How will state and local regulations allow organization? But we can't just do nothing until we have certainty. We have to make decisions. And in higher ed, there's so much of a herd mentality of following each other once we know, hey, that's the safe way to go. And that's not going to apply. So that's another example of a topic where we just discussed how much different this fall decision is going to be than anything that we saw in the spring. And yes, we need to acknowledge it. In the spring, it was all jump on Zoom, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. uh, Too much was jumping on Zoom. What, uh, here we are using Zoom and I think it's a great product, but what, what uh, was your feeling, um, about how uh, how Zoom solved uh, that initial issue, and technically, or there's a lot of a lot of talk about security issues. What yeah. what was your take on that? 
Well, with anything, particularly in an emergency, there's good and bad. Uh, if we want to start out with the good, the first thing is Zoom worked for what Zoom was designed for. It was intuitive. So not just people like yourself that already understand the technology and have been using it knew it. Faculty members who had never used it as a host could figure it out really quickly. The second thing that Zoom was designed for is it's just there. It just works. It does. And, and that's, a, that's a matter of uh, scalability from the infrastructure, but it's also a matter of it's easy to use. You don't have all these complicated downloads and clients, and it's not as, it's much easier than any of the previous video conferencing systems. So the fact that you had thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of faculty members going this direction, um, even more than that, with and them able to do that, that's what Zoom did really well. And at least gave you an outlet if you wanted it to be familiar with how you taught face-to-face, -face, you moved it to the Brady Bunch approach, right. but at least it was synchronous. So it has to be said, it worked. It's intuitive. It did not go down, it's, et cetera. Now, the biggest criticism of where it didn't work, I'd say it starts with it's too easy. So I think a lot of people got fooled. Oh, I don't need to think about course design. I just need to move it to Zoom. Sure. And they didn't think, well, what's what should be asynchronous versus synchronous? Uh, is this a good mechanism from accessibility? And then you start getting into security issues with the Zoom bombing. Where is the data stored? The lack of a native, easy-to-use transcription system. The, uh, so there all kinds of holes got exposed. But I'd say the central one is it was almost too easy, and I think people over-relied on it and ignored all the things that we already know about. Right, right. Like, like not online. keeping uh, students online forever. I, I heard yes. K-12 where, you know, they expected these kids to stay on a Zoom call for like three hours straight. Now, come on, you know. I know. going to happen. Or you have students who are international in particular, and yet they'll hold the class at the same time. Well, they're back yeah. home now, so they're up at 3 a.m. doing a class. Or you have students who are maybe economically disadvantaged. Maybe they can't get on the class at the same time that you've been holding it. And if you just do a live Zoom session, you're making it nearly impossible for them to do. So it's not rocket science, but that's the biggest hole is that people didn't think through so many things that we knew about already in the e-learning community. Exactly. You know, one of the things I remember... You saying in your blog, uh, I forget which one it was, but that um, you know it, it's it's not the technology; it's the uh, what makes things what makes education successful. It's the instructional design. Yes, and I, I can I, I would hope there'd be a increased appreciation for instructional designers and and what they're able to do. And we certainly need to double the number of <laughs> instructional designers out there to help our faculty uh, with the coming. You know, continuing pandemic, I, 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 I can't imagine that many schools, uh, especially in the Northeast where I am, uh, are going to go back um, full time uh, on campus yep. in the fall. And you know, we can't be on Zoom forever. Um, 
we've got, in fact, we're working workshops now. You know, we, we've, we showed our faculty how to move to Zoom. Now we have to show them how to do a well-designed, pretty asynchronous course. Now, it could be hybrid, some, some asynchronous portion to it, but um, I think we have to move more to the asynchronous world. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's going to be true. And I th I've already seen, I think, the appreciation for instructional design has increased, but appreciating it and being able to implement it at scale over the summer while faculty themselves are disrupted and working right. from home, that's another matter. So we've got this huge challenge in front of us. And I have a blog post that's in my head. I haven't written it yet. But you told me the production schedule, so it might be safe to say this now. <laughs> uh, but it's it's the limits of the remote versus online discussion that I think there's been a broad consensus in online discussions that what we're doing now is emergency remote teaching and learning. And that's right. very different emergency, than purposeful yeah. online learning. And that's been remarkably successful in getting that message out and people understanding to really teach online, you need real instructional design. It needs to be a mix or mostly asynchronous, depending on the situation. But we've almost been too successful with this distinction between remote and online. And the reason I think it's dangerous is students don't see it that way. Students, from what I'm seeing in surveys, talking to students, uh, looking at campus sonar where they do social listening on tweets and other types of things, they're, the general message I'm hearing from students is they were tolerant this spring. We get how much of a disruption it is. Um, and you definitely have the tuition protest. Give me a tuition refund. I'm not getting really? everything. Sure. But I think that when you head into the fall, it's going to be a completely different set of expectations where students are saying, you can call it remote, you can call it online, you can call it whatever you want. I'm not going to go or not going to pay for it if it's not worth my time. Right. And so I think that people get the value of instructional design, but there's a huge challenge over the next four months on getting ready in the Northern Hemisphere, getting ready for students to come back to class and being willing to enroll and go back yeah, to class. Absolutely. I mean, a certain percentage of our faculty are 10-month faculty. They're not even theoretically around during the summer. My heavens, what, what's going to face, what are, what are they going to face when they come back in August? You know, hopefully uh, we're still communicating with them and, and <laughs> prepping them for, yeah. for what's about to happen. But, I, you know, I think all the schools, if they're, uh, you know, should be planning contingencies, you know, for you know, on ground or uh, continuing uh, online. It's going to be yeah. an interesting couple of months. Yep. And so that's a, that's the real challenge. So this comes back to what, what do we talk about? This is what COVID transitions is about, mm -hmm. this type of topic. And it's not going to stop in the fall. Maybe we'll do a different program in the fall, but the fall is such a huge mile marker that we need to target, particularly late August, early September and getting started that the entire higher education community has to has a gargantuan effort in front of it. And it's unfortunate how difficult this is in dealing with 10-month assignments, dealing with economic cuts that we're going to be facing, but it still has to be done. So we're just trying to cover some of these big topics. And in particular, 
where we see certain topics not being discussed or needing to be accelerated, we'll try to push the envelope and get people to think about those ahead of time. Yeah, that's, that's the goal of the podcast. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I, I, um, I, I do a um, month, uh, I do a weekly uh, this week in academic tech for our campus. And uh, I've been promoting your blogs uh, every time because I think you have some great insight. And I think uh, people really need to uh, keep listening to you. Actually, well, not just reading and listening. <laughs> so I can, uh, I'll send you an invoice for some of the website charges that we have then. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, that's one thing. I, I do all my own hosting and um, maybe it's uh, it hasn't been that much of a burden lately. Maybe that's because I don't have as many uh, listeners as I would like, but um, I'm, I'm on a budget here. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, th- th- this, is, this has been great. I, I appreciate your, your time. Are there any other um, final words of wisdom you'd like to share with my audience? Well, just getting back to the original topic, talking about podcasts themselves, it has been rewarding. Like I've actually found myself by going through this process of creating podcasts, I'm listening to more podcasts to get ideas. And you start listening more. First of all, I'm consuming, and I realize podcasts quite a bit is consuming content, but great ideas that I'm hearing more and more while walking the dog, while driving to do errands, while doing... So I'm actually enriching my own learning by going through this exercise. So even though podcasting has been difficult, it's I've learned a lot, including I've actually discovered a lot of great content I wasn't really listening to before. So it's certainly, it's effort, but I think it's worth it. And it's really valuable to have other podcasts who have been around for a while, such as yourself to fall back on, to look, how did they do this? And, you know, what's the look that I want to have? So I would just say it's been a very interesting experience. You know, you know, one of the things I I miss about commuting to campus is that uh, I'm not listening to podcasts. I would, I listen every, you know, going to work and coming home from work. I I have uh, not so much education, but technology. I, I, I listen on a regular basis to, uh, I don't know if you know, Leo Laporte and all his podcasts. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I listen to This Week in, in Tech and I listen to uh, This Week in Google. And lately they've been talking a lot about the kinds of things we're talking about. In fact, they, they've uh, recently talked a lot about education and, and what's happening in, in their realm. But uh, yeah, they, they, he does an amazing job. Leo Laporte I actually met him about a year ago, I was out there in uh, San Francisco and uh, it was fun to visit his studio. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm already envious just of having uh, your noise filter on your mic. I'm like, that's a nice little setup you have there. So I'm noticing even little things now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a puff filter. So you don't blow into and, and make those uh, peas, you know, when you test, you know, testing, testing, p- 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 you know, you can tell the difference yep. sometimes with the, the filter. So a lot of little, some tips and tricks. I, I used to do every September, I, maybe I'll do it again this year. I used to do a sort of a podcasting 101 edition and sort of update it every year. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll do that again this year. Yeah, I, I think it would be useful. I, I don't know how many people are like me or creating new podcasts right now, but even some of the topics as faculty are trying to explore to do audio only additions to their class, but not distribute it as a formal podcast, there's got to be a lot of lessons of the type that we're talking about that would be valuable. So I think it'd be very useful. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially video, you know, that's, uh, that's how to reach students these days, you know, audio and, and video, uh, something they can do on their, on their phones. I can't imagine watching movies like they do on their phones, but <laughs> they can watch their lectures on the phone and so forth. So, uh, well, I've, I've even discovered a new audience. This is getting my, uh, getting my parents and my wife's parents are starting to listen and they're so they can have a better idea of what I actually do for a living. So yeah. it, it reaches different audiences. Not that uh, an audience of four is going to be that useful, but it's just been interesting to hear, oh, we're listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, listen, this has been great. I, I certainly am um, a follower of you, and uh, and uh, I, I encourage my uh, my audience to uh, subscribe to your your blog and now your podcast. That's the other thing in terms of your um, podcast. Uh, are you on all the the uh, the major podcast uh, delivery services, uh, iTunes, and so on, so people can? Yes. So I've been doing Apple, been doing uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Good. We share on our, you know, the podcast homepage, RSS feed, if you want to use it directly somewhere else. But yeah, yeah. most of them we are in. Um, I will say that was part of the challenge was figuring out how to get onto all the different services and yeah. getting it done correctly. So I think it's working now. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I use FeedBurner. Instead of using um, WordPress, I, I use uh, Blogger, which is a Google property. And then yep. they they bought FeedBurner years ago, and and that makes it easy to uh, to distribute your feed to all these other services. So, uh, yep. if folks out there are planning to do this, that's something to look into. Yep. So, oh, uh, since yeah. it was such a big topic, I if you don't mind me throwing no, in one other tool that I've been using yeah. is for the transcription. So we get the raw audio file. So COVID transitions. It's a discussion of three people. We so nothing is scripted. We get the audio file, and I've been using sonics.ai as a tool uh, that does really good job of transcription, including of multiple different speakers. And, and it's got a really nice interface that as you're editing the transcription, you do it on their own document viewer, but it's synced up with the audio. So any... Right sentence you want to say well what did they actually mean you just hit play and it'll play just that sentence so it's another tool that i I found learned something else yeah so (laughs) i'll uh, definitely have to have links uh, to those uh, some of those tools we uh, we talked about in the podcast that's that's a good reason to have show notes to go along with uh, what you're talking about and uh, i'll be certain to uh, to list those for our audience sure well it's great talking to you and great learning from you too it's uh, well, thank you, uh, and it's it's been fun, and I will probably end up doing this again in a couple months. See, see, see what happens this fall. See what the next uh, phase is going to be. So uh, yes, exactly. Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Okay, well, thank you. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to check out my show notes for links to things we talked about on the podcast, and stay tuned for Loving Hank by Debbie Porius. Until next time, have a great week.
that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray, and does not represent the official viewpoint of the University of the Sciences or any other institution or company. Yeah.